Well, friends, as you are listening in live on radio, we are about to bring into the second part of our conversation this morning a discussion regarding sin and repentance and revival and excitement and joy and change and opportunities to present God's word faithfully to our nation. I'm joined by two men, uh, Henny Delfell, uh, to together uh, with uh, a Strauss and right now Strauss I'm so sorry but I can't see your surname uh, there you go it's Skulk Strauss <laughs> I started with the surname so sorry about that Skulk Strauss um, both of which have been involved in a translation effort and they've been translating uh, a sermon that was written uh, I'm going with 300 years ago must have been in about the 1700s by a gentleman called uh, Jonathan Edwards he wrote on foreign shores he was an American and wrote in the States Um, he wrote the sermon preached the sermon and the sermon literally caught fire in that entire nation and created a revival um, which has been which has which has kind of a cornerstone revival when you think of the top 10 revivals through history certainly um fairly certain was the second great awakening uh, is one of the key revivals that you refer to it, it it ended up impacting the entire world and certainly brought the nation of the united states back in the 1700s uh, both to their knees and back to God and had very long-term uh, results uh, in that country, and I'm, I have no doubt we'll talk about some of that. Um, but at this stage, maybe I can just welcome uh, both Henning and Skulk uh, to the show this morning. I'm very glad to have both of you uh, uh, together with me. Uh, maybe I could take the opportunity, Henning, because I, I I know you best of all. You and I have met a couple of times. Maybe, and we actually served in the same city together for a while. Maybe we can just start off by you introducing yourself to the listeners so that they have an idea of who you are. Good morning, Mark. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can speak English, but I can't speak English. I'm a pastor as well in a, in, in Potgieterschrift of Mokopane. And um, yeah, surprisingly cold here as well. Uh, I didn't know the, the north, the, the region north of Pretoria can be this cold. But um, yeah, um, serving for some years now and yeah this uh, this great commission to preach the word but um, but to to ask for revival and to pray for revival i think it's very important as well and actually key to to being a shepherd in a congregation mm-hmm. uh, and and maybe just for the listeners sake um so this weekend you you contacted me and you told me about this initiative this translation effort of of taking Jonathan Edwards sermon and translating it into Afrikaans into a heart language and um and and we had a brief conversation about revival and it just so happened that i i'd been reading the day before uh, from a book on the 10 great revivals through history and had been um i mean quite literally just weeping through the chapters um as i just re- recognized how gracious God has been in the past to nations. I, I think of the Welsh revival at the turn of the last century. I think of the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening uh, and even Pentecost, which I had preached on the week before, how, how God has at times stirred great numbers of people. And um, you know, what, what drove me to tears wasn't just seeing God's grace 
in other people but what drove me to tears was just a deep desire to see God stir even in our own nation and bringing my own heart um, to a a greater uh, awareness and filling of the spirit a, a greater boldness a greater understanding of the presence of Jesus Christ and a greater desire to make him known and declare him to my own family and friends and in my own pulpit and uh, and in the city that I serve and um, just a desire to see the hand of God move uh, amongst our people and so um, when you and I chatted uh, immediately the conversation resonated and I asked if uh, you'd be willing to come and just talk a little bit about um, the, the the work that you uh, uh, are, are doing amongst churches and then the work that Skulk has done in terms of translating uh, sinners in, in the hands of an angry God into Afrikaans. Skulk maybe I can bring you in at this stage and you can also just introduce yourselves to the listeners so that they have an idea of who they're talking to. Hello Mark, thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, nice being with you guys, uh, speaking to you. Um, I'm Skulk Strauss. I'm head of publications at Lichendeisternis Uitgevers. Um, so we are a publication house and uh, obviously what we're doing is uh, we're doing a lot of publications and we try to put some good stuff in in uh, congregants' hands and believers' hands so they can read. As you know, to read is sometimes, uh, for some of us, a great effort. And we try to do things uh, a bit differently here, uh, taking some good stuff from history, such as sinners in the hands of an angry God, translated in, into the Afrikaans language, and give something um, that is not too big, not too much, not uh, that will not take too much effort for you to read, but will really have a great impact on your life and, and put that into people's hands. So that's what we're doing here, and thanks for having us. Oh, great. Well, I, look, I mean, we can start this conversation off in so many places, but, but maybe maybe let's begin by just defining what is good stuff skulk i mean there there is a lot of of literature out there i mean you know kind of bookshelves can be filled with christianese literature mm-hmm. um and yet i i would agree with you some literature is gooder than other that's not very good english by the way but some literature <laughs> is gooder than other literature um how how would you how do you go about defining what is good stuff um how does how does good stuff resonate with you how do you go about choosing sinners in the hands of a, of an angry god over other literature for instance okay so first of all um each of us would like to define us ourselves in a certain way and if you ask me to define myself, I would start off by saying I'm a Christian. But secondly, I would define myself as a Reformed Christian. And maybe that will set the tone for what um, I would consider to be good stuff to read. Well, but, well, well, um, well, just for the benefit of the listeners, um, uh, when you say Reformed Christian, they might have a view in their mind of what that means. Uh, what is what is that? What is that? Tag that theological tag mean? Um, uh, what is a Reformed Christian? Can a Reformed Christian be Baptist? Of course, yes. <laughs> okay, so, um, so maybe just explain think... briefly what a Reformed Christian <laughs> is. We, we actually happened to have this think... conversation last week, so, so it might be yeah, fresh in yeah. some of the listeners' minds. Okay, now I think um, I would define 
a reformed Christian or maybe the reformed view in a broader sense. Um, if you compare it maybe with a stream, I think, or a river, I think um, it is a, a wide flowing river yes. flowing in the same direction. Yes. And within that river, you have different streams coming together. Some reformed folks find them on the one side of the river, some more to the center of the river, and some more to the other side of the river. And that's why I can easily say that I view someone your background also as a reformed Christian. But I think um, what mostly define reformed Christianity is uh, the five soli. Um, you know, Christ alone, the Bible alone, uh, or scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, and to God the glory. I think that would be um, the five fundamental statements for uh, which we can use to define Reformed Christianity. And within that um, view of Reformed Christianity, I think um, if we talk about good stuff and what to read, uh, then we at the Hundeistenis Eitgeber, we try to um, bring some of the classical theological resources um, back so that people can read it again, mm. make it popular again, in a way. And what we're trying to do is uh, trying to take some bits and pieces and not give the heavy stuff up front, but g give them bits and pieces of what is really good, give them a taste of what reformed theologic, uh, theology is, and if they are interested and they, and they have an appetite, they will want more, and hopefully they will read more, and if we read more, we will delve into this um, unimaginable uh, lots of resources we have and that is available to us but we have neglected so much over the, over the years well, well let, let, let me I'm going to bring Henning into the conversation after one more question to you Skulk and I'll, I'll tell Henning what I'm going to ask I'm, I'm going to say Henning uh, my understanding is you are at an Afrikaans Protestante Kerk that's an Afrikaans Protestant church Um uh, Jonathan Edwards, if I remember correctly, is a Presbyterian, a Reformed Presbyterian. How is it that, you know, in one denominational um, flow, you are reading kind of across the lines? Um, and and, and what, what value do you have of bringing Jonathan Edwards, for instance, who wrote in the 1700s, into your church in 2022? So I'm going to ask that question to you after I just follow up one question with Skulk. So, so Skulk, a very interesting answer just in terms of what Reformed Christianity is. Um, I, I, I do. I, I, it resonates very much with, with that. And I would certainly add to the five solas, the five doctrines of grace in terms of we all have a shared soteriology um, uh, what we hold to but but as you were talking you said you you, you kind of bring in um, the light stuff and give people a taste um, um, for for some some really good stuff um, and I started smiling because I wouldn't have put Jonathan Edwards and sinners in the hands of an angry God on the light side <laughs> you know just I mean I, I just I just probably wouldn't have started there in terms of the conversation so, so I'm smiling and yet I actually listened again to the sermon as I was driving in uh, this morning and just realized how your picture rich um, he, he's he's 
both his writing style but also his preaching style was for a, for a man who wasn't considered a great orator he certainly did write in pictures that I think resonated with people's hearts um, so so I, I guess my question just to extend from what is good stuff is is what is light stuff and what is heavy stuff um, as you are thinking of both present day writers and writers in history um, and, and, and reform writing in particular well Mark I, <laughs> maybe I should phrase it a, a bit differently and say it's, it's not only that we want to bring in lighter stuff, because uh, but also important stuff. What is important yes. for yes. us to read? Mm. What is in, what do we need to hear? Mm. You know, because if we, if we speak about lighter stuff, it is what we want to hear. Yeah. There's a lot of things we want to hear. We want to hear that God loves us. We want to hear that God is good and gracious. And we want to hear that He is always there for us and that He will help us through our struggles and that He will be our companion. You know, that's the good stuff also. And it's the right stuff also. But it's not all there is to God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we also have the responsibility to bring... Um, that message that people needs to hear. Yes. Because otherwise, all the good stuff is not going to benefit us in any way if we don't listen to the important stuff. That's why we chose something like this sermon, because it has a very, very important message for us that we cannot ignore yeah. in the time we live. Skulk, I think you chose the right sermon. Um, so, I mean, just in terms of, I, I've probably been on the show now for longer than two years, but I've actually had three shows where I've spoken about sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, once where I spoke about just the biography of Jonathan Edwards, once when I, when I spoke about the, the sermon itself, and we kind of did an exposition on air of the sermon. Um, but, but I do think that this is one of the greatest sermons that, uh, it certainly is the sermon that I've read most in my Christian life, um, and uh, and and I do find it amazing. Uh, it is such a rich, rich sermon. I I, th- I think maybe after we now just engage with Henning a bit, we need to come to the sermon itself and just maybe talk about about what are the highlights in terms of this particular piece of writing because it it is a remarkable piece of literature. Henning, why on earth? Would you uh, a contemporary pastor as yourself in a in a Protestant evangelical church? Why on earth would you reach back into into the the shadows of history and pull out a Presbyterian from the 1700s and present him to your people as a as a prime example of of excellence as far as preaching is concerned? Um, Mark, um, I really do think that um, oftentimes we have a sense of a chronologi- chronological haughtiness, um, thinking that since we are the latest and uh, current generation or whatever the case may be, yes. that uh, therefore we must be the best. We are the product of uh, development and, 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 um, and progress through the through the centuries. And I really do find that not to be the case. Um, I, in a very, um, very literal sense, I'm a, I regard myself at least to be still a young man and so much to learn. Um, there's so much things I don't know yet, so much things that that uh, I haven't the faintest idea about. And 
When I reach back into history, I really do find that many of these men uh, thought through these issues that even uh, that's issue, that some of these issues are issues that we are struggling with today. Um, and they thought through these issues and they um, worked through it and they formulated good biblical answers to these questions. Um, and oftentimes, because we are in a very certain sense uh, a product of our uh, circumstances and our, our environment to a certain degree, um, there are some questions we haven't thought about yet. And when reading through for example, sinners of in the hands of an angry God, he had a very specific um, view of uh, what is going to happen. And normally, mm. when you look at the world, you don't look at the world in that in, in that way. Mm. Um, and so, I think these uh, reaching back into history and reading uh, through these these great figures um, you know, through their works, not just reading about them, but reading what they specifically themselves said. Um, I think that really broadens your perspective, uh, opens your eyes, and in my pers- uh, personal um, in my personal experience, it really uh, gives you tools in ministry, and it really gives makes you stronger. Um, it, it prepares you for for much. Um, and therefore, I'm really, really grateful to stand on the shoulders of giants. Yes, yes. And standing on the shoulders of giants, I I, I think that that is a that that's a that, that's a great that's a great word picture and to link it to something that Skulk said earlier just this idea of of a, of a river and um, and that we're flowing in a river and, and the reality is upstream from us um, men spoke wonderful words that flow down to us I, I mean without a, without a doubt um, the, this particular sermon resonates even with the contemporary soul um, certainly resonates with the contemporary soul I I, I find it so interesting uh, Henning you, you, you mentioned that um, that he speaks in a in a way and speaks on themes that sometimes we don't think about in our in our modern in our modern existence and this idea that 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 we are not necessarily getting better and better <laughs> like evolving in terms of our ability to think in some mm. case in some ways when you read an edwards um you recognize that there's been some devolution actually in terms of our ability to think and to process theological things and things of of a lofty nature um yeah skulk um uh, thank you so much for doing the translative work uh, on this sermon. Uh, I, I'm I'm interested to know how that went about and and how long it takes to translate a sermon and and how difficult it is to translate a sermon. I, I mean, I I think uh, uh, when, when I read in in other languages and translate back into English, uh, I'm always amazed at at how difficult that process is. How sometimes I'm trying to be as literal as possible, but in reality, I, I often miss idios, idiomatic phrases that don't translate. Well, um, how difficult was the process of translating a sermon that uh, that, that that was written so long ago I- into Afrikaans? So, I mean, even when I was listening to it in English this morning, there were yays and 
um, and a couple of odd words and a couple of odd turns of phrase and and obviously he's speaking into a world which is pre-industrialization and so all of his metaphors all of his although many of his metaphors translate very well into the modern into the modern day but all of his metaphors are before Netflix and Facebook and, and so uh, how do you go about translating a work from from English into Afrikaans <laughs> well and how long does that take <laughs> yeah well I wouldn't say well I I don't want to uh, say it's an easy task it, it, it certainly isn't an easy task I mean I'm a Burki <laughs> I speak Afrikaans it's my, it's my home language and and I'm from the free state as well so you can imagine how, how difficult it is for me I barely passed English um, in uh, grade 12 so but I'm here and I'm I'm trying to do my best so, and the, what makes it difficult is not only the metaphorical stuff and the idiomatic stuff that's in the sermon but also uh, the kind of English that was uh, that Edwards was using in his time I mean it's it's archaic in a sense. A lot of these words. <laughs> if I'm when I was busy with the translation, there was times that I really had to dig very deep to find to get to the meaning of certain English words and English phrases because it's not standard English anymore. We don't use it in that way anymore. And some of the words even have, has a, a different meaning in modern day English than it had in in the older older versions of English so mm, if, mm. that makes it a bit more difficult um, so what happens when you translate you, you're not only translating you are kind of meditating on the text as well yes. because you have to really get into the text and try to get into the mindset of Edwards and try to understand him a bit more uh, luckily I'm, I'm reading uh, more extensively on Edwards so I'm more used to his kind of language that he uses yes. and uh, that makes it a bit easier but still it is a daunting task to translate in, into the Afrikaans language and then you have the um, the whole thing of the idiomatic uh, language the, the good thing about Edwards is that he was somebody that lived close to nature and and nature and, and, and draws a a lot of images um, from nature yes. that he uses in his sermons and that's something that we as South Africans at least can relate to a lot because we also are uh, people who, who live close to nature and therefore we can you know it's, a, it's kind of a timeless metaphor to use and it's a timeless idiomatic phrase to use and that's why it's not difficult to translate that and it's not it's not even um I, I didn't go the way to try and modernize the um, idiomatic uh, language, okay. the metaphors he uses, because um, I think the sermon, sermon would have lost some of its impact if, if, if that was uh, if we did it that way. So I tried to translate it as close as possible to um, the original meaning of the text, but in a modern Afrikaans that is uh, understandable but also in an Afrikaans idiom so I would have asked myself at times okay how would I say this in Afrikaans what would the Afrikaans way of saying this 
be. And then I would try to get my translation as close as possible. So it, it didn't uh, took so long to translate. I think I was busy with it. I, I actually, we're also doing a monthly magazine here at the, um, at the Gendeistenis Eitgevers called Geburtskapper. Mm. And um, when I started this project, um, I needed a sermon to put into the monthly magazine. And I thought of uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I thought, oh, let me try and translate this. It's not going to take long. I'm just going to quickly translate it and put it in um, as a sermon for this month's issue. And uh, But it, <laughs> it turned out to be a more daunting task than I expected it to be. Um, so my first effort took about, I think, three days to do the translation. And uh, then I had to shorten it for the, for, for, for the magazine because I can't put the – it would take up the whole issue of the magazine just to translate uh, – just to put in the, the, the sermon as a, as a whole. And I had to shorten it. And that was a difficult task. Yes. So now, luckily, I have a shortened version, version <laughs> and a longer version of a br- the, abridged, the sermon. Abridged and extended. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, um, but at the end of the day, I think we have a better product. So um, I have some proofreaders. I sent it to them as well. And they proofread it, came back with their suggestions. And we um, bettered the translation here and there. Um, but I think on a, maybe a second or third try, it will get better even more. But uh, so it's a humble attempt. <laughs> I won't say it's the best, but um, I, I like to pride myself in doing things in a way that is as good as I can possibly put out. But this is my best effort. Well, well, I, I mean, even even listening to the sermon this morning, what you have said really does make sense. He he does speak uh, using natural metaphors a lot. Uh, uh, the 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 one metaphor that always sticks in my head is the 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 metaphor of a spider's web. Um, that just like a rock will fall through a spider's web, so too those who are not in Christ will fall to certain doom. Um, I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing <laughs> um, and taking mm. quite a lot of liberty, but that that is a metaphor that he uses. Uh, uh, he uses the metaphor of a piece of of tarpaulin or a piece of, of of mat which is stretched out, which is weak in many places, and and you can't see where it's weak, and it's stretched out over hell. And if you're not in Christ, you're walking on this, and you are likely to fall through it um, soon uh, at at any stage. Um, uh, just like over and over again, he uses metaphors that that I think we can understand quite easily without them even needing to be translated. You are right, um, and, and and so uh, yeah, abs- absolutely fascinating. Um, in terms of in terms of um, the impact of the sermon and and what you hope the impact of the sermon uh, might be, um, may, maybe when we come back from a break, because we're coming to the top of the hour, we're just going to break for um, for a, a few minutes in order to play some adverts and play a song. When we come back from the break, maybe Skulk, we can just start off by by talking about. 
at a at a very high level what the sermon is about its structure um, how he opens what passage he's referencing to the points that he makes uh, and then the application that Jonathan Edwards actually sees in the sermon himself what he's hoping to achieve and then maybe if you and, and Henning can just talk to what you are hoping an Afrikaans translation of the sermon might achieve in South Africa in 2022. Um, for those who are listening in live on air, we are going to go to a music break now. When we come back after the break, we will continue to talk about sinners of the of an angry God. Uh, we're talking about particularly an Afrikaans translation, uh, which has been translated and which has been made available. I'm fairly certain through Amazon, but we'll be giving more information regarding that uh, after the break. Thank you so much for tuning and looking forward to chatting to you shortly well friends it is good to be with you for the second hour of the show this morning whether you are listening in Pofada or Potensi or Da'ar um, it is wonderful to have you with us whether you are on radio 657 AM 729 AM on Facebook streaming because you are cool uh, on Radio Pulpit Radio uh, Pulpit uh, Radio Console excuse, uh, or if you are on DSTV channel 882 Open View channel 607 if you are on the web www.radiopulpit.co.za wherever you are tuning in it is good to have you with us today the topic is so relevant we're talking uh, about a, a sermon which was preached a while back um, by a Presbyterian named Jonathan Edwards um, and it is a sermon which has struck the heart of many people um, over the last uh, a number of years it's a sermon which has recently been translated into Afrikaans I'm speaking to the translators and uh, and uh, folk that are involved uh, with promoting uh, the work um, Henning uh, Dalfell together with Skulk Strauss uh, we are talking about sinners in the hands of an angry God a sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards maybe I should just read uh, a paragraph it's a paragraph that struck me this morning as I was driving in the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow made ready on the string and justice directs the bow to your heart and strains at the bow and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God without any promise or obligation at all that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood I mean the words <laughs> the words are terrifying uh, I mean I've, I've heard stories that folk that that listened to the sermon as it was originally preached were holding on to the the pillars of the church that they were in for fear that they might be swallowed up that very moment um, by by hell and hell's fury. Um, my understanding is that Edwards, as he delivered it, uh, as he delivered it, wasn't the most charismatic of characters, um, and that he really struggled in terms of um, uh, his eyesight, um, and pretty much looked down with his glasses on the whole way through reading his sermon. Um, and then um, finally when he looked up realized that something had happened in the room and there was <laughs> there was a move of God but 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 who knows if that's actually the way um, it, it played out certainly the repercussions of this particular sermon reverberated through the colonies I'm guessing it was colonies back then um, I, I'm, I'm, I think that was pre um, might have been post but I, I'm, I'm thinking that was pre-independence but uh, 1700s um, 
Um, but 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 as he as he read it, it reverberated um, through the areas, um, not just where he ministered, but went far beyond, and eventually actually um, even reached English shores uh, in terms of the revival that was happening in the hearts of God's people. And then as God's people were coming to um, to faith and emboldened faith, um, so too others were hearing the good news, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and coming to faith. Um, and maybe even on that on on that note, uh, I, I remember singing an English song. Actually, uh, a pastor at Central Baptist Church, um, Charles de Kivett, um, uh, keyed me into the song. Uh, Lord, uh, mercy drops are falling, but for showers we plead. Just this understanding that that even in the presence, uh, through the through the normal regular means of grace, we hear stories of men and women coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. But but we do. Plead Lead for revival where God uses the ordinary means of grace in extraordinary ways and we hear um, stories of even entire nations turning to God um, in, in faith and trust, kind of stories of cities like Nineveh uh, at, the, at the wretched preaching of Jonah because he wasn't the greatest preacher on the planet um, but, but coming to faith stories like Pentecost where 3,000 people were added to their number, stories like Ephesus uh, where they bought their books and burnt them in the city square um, stories like um, the second great awakening uh, that came out of this sermon and stories like the Welsh revival um, and even recently I read of a South African revival happening around that time uh, the prison revival um, but but we look for God to stir our nation and maybe Skulker at this time we can just talk about um, the sermon itself um, how you see it laid out um, uh, what are the key elements of this particular sermon about a 40 minute sermon so it's not quite a book it's a it really was a sermon maybe akin to what you might hear in a good Bible teaching church even today in terms of its time um, what were the main the main points of the sermon the main applications of the sermon how, how, what made this a great piece of writing um, Mark, yeah, it is. It it was a. It is a sermon that was preached in the Puritan plain style. So, those of you who are familiar with uh, certain uh, types of preaching, then the Puritan plain style is where you have first have the exposition of the text, and then you have the application of the text. Yes. <clears throat> and oh, you just muted yourself. I'm hoping accidentally, Skulk. Yeah, there you are. There you are. Sorry for that. No problem. So the text that um, that he that he uses um, uh, is Deuter Deuteronomy thirty-two verse thirty-five. So I have the Afrikaans translation here. I sure read it. Um, and I'm going to read it in Afrikaans and then maybe in English. Mij kom die vraag toe en die vergelde op die tijd as hulle voedsel wankel, want die dag van hulle ondergang is nabij. In what So in English, if I can read from the New King James version here, sure. um, verse 35, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. So, if we can just meditate on this text for a while, then I think uh, you will understand why this particular text 
gripped Edward uh, and and moved him towards this sermon because it's actually quite frightening if you think about what the Lord is saying here, and it's some of the it's it's one of that hard topics in the Bible that we don't usually like to discuss, but that we have to discuss, mm. that we have to take account of. Otherwise, mm. you're going to be in big trouble. And I think the big and the main focus of this uh, sermon is the fact that he places the sovereignty of God, he places that in the focus, you know. Um, and I think that's a very neglected kind of uh, our view of God's sovereignty is very neglected part of our faith. We say we believe God is sovereign. We say we believe he's in control of everything, but I'm not sure that we are always um, certain what we mean if we say God is sovereign. <laughs> and that's what Edwards ex- um, ex- explains when he um, explained the sticks. He first put his, puts it out there in his explanation and his outline of the text says that you must understand and, and you use that um, uh, metaphor, that image that he uses of a kind of a bridge that you walk over and it's and it's, it's filled with planks and you don't know which one is rotten and which one will crack and which one will let you fall through over uh, into this pit of hellfire. Mm. Um, so there's always this uncertainty and but behind all of this is the supremacy of God and what he's trying to explain in the sermon is listen you must understand one thing um, you are in the hands of God he's the sovereign God he's the one that is planning everything he's the one that is deciding everything you can do whatever you want you can be as clever as you think you are yeah. you can try to be as bold as you think you are but that will not stop God in doing what he's about to be doing and if you are not right with God and that's the main point of the, of the sermon then you have, definitely have something to fear but there's also quite a lot of grace in this sermon if you um, if you think about Edwards, then usually people who don't know Edwards quite well would say, ah, oh, it's a hell and hellfire and brimstone preacher, you know. Yeah. T- um, turn not turn or burn. <laughs> turn or burn, you know. Yeah. But in a sense, maybe that is what is um, what it's about in this sermon. Um, you must turn, otherwise you're going to burn. Mm. I mean, that is. And, and, and you see, the thing about Edwards is he... He was so good at taking abstract concepts mm. and and make it so vivid to our imagination that we can bring it um, into con- in connection with our sensory experiences. Mm, mm. And this is what he's trying to do in this sermon as well. He's taking this abstract concept of hell and what is awaiting everybody. He's putting... Uh, um, man in relation with God and say what is going to happen if this relationship is not right and is make it quite vividly plain um, in a way that grips your imagination so that you have no other um, way of responding to it than either to reject it and say I will face the consequences or you will turn to God in repentance and say but I need to repent, I need to bow down before this God 
and acknowledge his sovereignty over my life. Otherwise, I have no other way of extending it into the next you know, Skulk, uh, as I so I reflected on those words "turn or burn" this morning uh, again, as I was thinking of the sermon. Actually, last night, as I was just thinking of uh, of this morning's show, and 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 I would say this to the listeners: for those of you who are familiar with the style of preaching, which is kind of fire and brimstone uh, kind of preaching in our modern era, often it relies heavily upon emotionalism. Um, it it relies heavily upon emotionalism, and then and then and then pins um, a couple of texts to a heavily emotional um, a delivery uh, of uh, of whatever the preacher is trying to do. Edwards wasn't like that at all. He wasn't a typically he wasn't a very emotional man, um, and so rather than pin to emotionalism um this idea of of turn from your sins because hell's fury is awaiting to you um he used his mind he was a philosopher um a, a man of of deep thought and a, and a theologian par excellence um and so and so uh, he 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 nestles everything that he says and everything that he delivers in in Excellent um, theological uh, construct, um, and you are right. You, you you spoke about this being uh, uh, in the format of the pure of a Puritan sermon exposition, uh, followed by application. Uh, I'm reminded even of you know before the Puritans, uh, John Flavel in France. Uh, he also wrote very similar in style to this, where where he had uh, you know a multi-pointed exposition, which was a logical format that he would take his hearers or his readers through and at the end of that then just pierce the heart <laughs> and that's what Edwards does he, 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 he presents um, these abstract concepts as you've spoken about them Skulk of, of hell, of sovereignty uh, of wrath uh, of these attributes of God he, he presents them so logically and then he just takes aim for the heart he, 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 he gets his own arrow as a preacher at, at, the, at the ready and puts it on the bow even as he's talking about God having his arrow um, pointed on the hearts of men and, and then he just lets loose and he fires what, what was his ultimate aim what, what, why, what makes this sermon um, incredible what, what was he aiming for in terms of, of persuasion uh, in the heart of his hearers I think um, Mark the amazing thing about Edwards he was not preaching this sermon to, to cause a great revival <laughs> it was unexpected for him I think the, the main thing and the main point he wanted to convey was not the fact that God is sovereign, although that's one big focus of this sermon, but Christ as mediator. Mm. And to tell people, but listen, there is a way out of this. Yes. The only way out of this is Christ the mediator. You need a mediator. You can make your plans. You can do whatever you do. Yes. You can be as religious as you want to be, but that's not going to help you. What you need is a mediator. You need a perfect mediator, and that's that's where this sermon um, changes from being a hellfire and brimstone sermon yes. to an evangelical sermon with yes. Christ at the center. And that's what makes it makes Edward such an extraordinary uh, preacher because he was 
really Christ-centered in his approach and um, also uh, the work of the Holy Spirit was was very upfront in his preaching and uh, he didn't rely much as you said on the presentation of the sermon because he wasn't a very good presenter of the sermon although he would admit that it helps a lot if you can present the sermon in a certain way mm-hmm. uh, but not everybody has the skills to do that but um, uh, the the one thing that he re- relied on a lot, you pointed out very spot on, was the logic um, he uses and the, f- the the logical flow in his sermon. Yes. That uh, he was taking his listeners with him all the time, and they knew what was uh, where he was coming from and where he's getting to. And but I, in short, I think the the main thing is he presented Christ. Henning, uh, a listener um, asks the following question. Um, Please share your thoughts on the possibility of believers thinking that this type of sermon is too harsh for saints today, that the pulpit should only preach love. Uh, What would be your response to that? And Teresa, thanks for sending in the question. Um, Well, for starters, if I must answer that question, I would say that first we must ask um, according to my understanding at least this type of uh, preaching has been going on for quite some time already um, where we are uh, hesitant to proclaim uh, the things that God specifically deems as sin and as hateful and mm. as, as wrong um, and yes for, for quite some time this uh, this has been going on and um, according to the latest or uh, the last census status uh, d- uh, data we have, um, I don't know exactly what year that was. Uh, anyway, um, it is said that there is about 75.49% Christians in South Africa. If you converted that into into a body count, that would, I think, be more or less 32,900-something. I can't remember. Anyway, um, and... and Reality. If you look at the daily news and mm. if you look at the um, uh, uh, the uh, papers and everything, I can't see the effect of 32 million Christians living in South Africa. Mm. Um, I can't see the, the the impact those 32 million Christians is um, are supposed to be having. Yeah. Um, and so, indeed, uh, we must uh, evaluate the current uh, status quo and ask: But is that is what we're doing really having the impact we we ought to have? Mm. Are we being are we being salt and light like like we should be? Um, and so, I don't think it's necessarily a question for what kind of appetite we have and what kind of appetite we should um, uh, aim to to satisfy. I think it's more a question of what are we being called to do. And again, I think um, looking back at looking back at the the um, at history and finding words f- from preachers like Edwards, and I know you're very fond of J.C. Ryle as well. Mm. Um, looking at people like them and and hearing thoughts um, and uh, hearing them as uh, in a very specific sense. Um, uh, guiding us how to to approach this um yeah i really think it's necessary um i think it's jc rail that 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 uh, that said that there's not a soul yeah uh he wrote the book holiness yeah uh uh, sorry yes indeed yeah yeah. Um, 
in Anandales. Um, he, uh, he, I think one of his quotes were that there's not, there's not a soul in hell that can attest to the fact that he went to Christ and was denied. Um, and in, in specifically a call, a call to prayer, he says, um, uh, what, uh, what what the the demons in hell would give to have a chance to pray to God right now mm. and to, to repent um, and yeah this imagery like that um, encrypts the imagination and yes. it takes it doesn't ask uh, what kind of appetite you have it doesn't ask what uh, flavor you prefer it aims for the heart and it pierces the heart like you said earlier um, and I think I really believe that is necessary. And that's exactly why we we call we 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 are hoping to promote this call to repentance, not to promote a certain type of theology, um, mm. not to, but really to try to pierce hearts, um, but with the words of uh, that that came down through the ages. Um, and I think that's that's necessary. And and it is necessary to pierce hearts because hearts are hardened. You you're right. Thirty two million people and yet what is the effect in our country? I'm reminded of another Presbyterian from history, John Knox, who said, Give me a hundred faithful men and uh, mm. I will take this nation. Uh, yeah, and I'm paraphrasing him, but it was something to that effect uh, that he said of Scotland, um, inferring that a hundred faithful men in pulpits could literally change the course of an entire nation. Uh, we have 32 million professing Christians, and yet where are we as a country? Friends, we do need to repent and we need hearts to be pierced. I, I I'm reminded on the day of Pentecost of those who looked to the apostles and and they were cut to the heart, it says in English. I'm sure there's very colorful, beautiful language in Afrikaans. They were cut to the heart or pierced to the heart and, and cried out to the apostles, what then should we do to be saved? That was off the back of this kind of preaching. Um, Peter had just said, you killed the Christ. <laughs> you killed the Christ and he is resurrected and he is ascended into glory and he is coming again to judge. That's really a summary of Paul's uh, of Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost it, it was it was it was fear for the wrath of God which is to come kind of preaching and it was that kind of preaching which struck the heart of men and called men to repentance we need more of that preaching not just in the translated um, uh, um, uh, sermons we need more of that kind of preaching in our pulpits it, it's not just church members that need to hear this and get sinners of angry God into their hands that their hearts might be affected but pastors need to hear this as well we, we need to be bolder in our declaration mm. of these truths um, so just yeah, um, yeah. Henning to, to, to hook on to that, um, we should be reminded that Pentecost was the, f uh, the festival of first fruit and by pouring out his spirit on that specific day, on that specific feast, God is literally saying this 3000 is the first fruit, the, the rest of the harvest is still to come yes. and we yes. should pray the God of the harvest to send his uh, his workers so the harvest can be gathered. Um, I really think that that uh, mindset and that motivation um, is another part of this uh, this bigger picture we need to see. So I, I do want to... Mark, if I, if yeah, I can, you can. Can I come in here? Yeah, of course you can. Um, I, I would just like to add something here. <clears throat> you, you, you spoke about the 32 million people in South Africa that... Uh, 
do not really have an effect on, on South Africa. And I think the thing we need in South Africa is not is not more nominal Christians. Yes. What we need is faithful Christians. Yes. And in order to, to do that and uh, to answer the question you had earlier from one of your listeners as well, um, what Edwards would answer to to this question about the hard topics of the Bible, um, in one of his sermons on hell, he says the the problem is that the less real things are more real to us than the more real things are. And well, you can what actually, is you can that repeat is, that just because it's such a staggeringly good uh, quote. The things that are less real are more real to us than the things that are that are real. There's something to that. that effect. Can you say that real. again? Yeah. yeah. The less real things are more real than the more real things are or ought to be. And and he said that in regards to hell. Mm. And he said hell is such an abstract concept for us, in a sense, and we deem our ordinary daily lives as being more real. Us speaking here to each other, having a computer screen in front of us, is something that is more real to us than the concept of hell. And it should be the other way around. And we should make people aware of that. And that's why we have this campaign um, with this sermon that we are um, trying to get as much as possible uh, congregations or from all around South Africa, doesn't matter from which church background you are, to preach this specific sermon of Jonathan Edwards on the 24th of July. We want it to be preached all over South Africa. We want it to be broadcasted um, as far and as wide as possible um, to see if God would not work again through this message and uh, stir people up to faithfulness. Um, because we really think that that would be the answer to our to our problems in South Africa. If you think about the problems with regards to marriages, crime, corruption, discrimination, our racial relationships in South Africa, our ethics, um, all of that can be solved if we are faithful, if we do not serve God as a means to an end. And I just want to say something about this. You know, if you think about repentance in South Africa, we had a lot of uh, similar things in the past. You know, in the Afrikaans communities, we maybe on a yearly basis we have a we have a day of repentance you know if it's if there's a drought or something then we have a prayer day uh, a repentance day in order that the, the drought might be broken by God now that's good in, in itself but I think sometimes we tend to fall into this trap to see religion as a means to an end we we have to turn God's arm to help us, to be with us, to change our situation. And I think that's the wrong way to go about this. And that's why this message of Jonathan Edwards is such an important message because it's the focus is on the right place. Mm. The focus is not on man. The focus is on God and what God did and what your relationship with God is and what the result of that relation ultimately, ultimately will be if you are in a 
a good relationship with him through Jesus Christ, then you have nothing to fear. But if you do not have this relationship, then you have a problem. And if we can change that relationship into a faithful relationship, then all these other problems are supposed uh, are supposed to to go away in, the, in a sense. Because it, it, it will be resolved then um, because we are faithful and we listen to what God has to say about this. Skulker, Christine asks, uh, thank you for the very relevant subject. Uh, is it perhaps possible to give the link to the translated sermon throughout the show for listeners who can't listen to the end uh, at the end? And then she says, thank you very much. Somebody did reply to her uh, on Facebook. I think that's where the question came from in terms of the link. Um, m- maybe just to say that the easiest way to get the translation into Afrikaans would be to... Um, to Google the the Afrikaans translation of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, which you're about to give us uh, now, um, followed by Amazon, and it's a, it's easily available for Amazon. It's easy to find. But, Skulk, maybe you'd like to just point listeners to where they can find the translation into Afrikaans and, and, then, um, and, and then also maybe just explain to them where they can find um, a, an English version of the translation on monogism or wherever. Yeah. Um, thanks, Mark. Um, so the translation, I just want to show it like this. Maybe you can see it. Um, it, is, it is available on our website. So it's uh, www.lichendeisternis.co.za. So you can order it online. Otherwise, if you um, like to read on your Kindle, then you can go to Amazon and you can just type in uh, Sondar's in the hand of a tornige God um, and then you will find it there. I think you will probably also find an English translation um, on Amazon, but it's free. The English translation is free. So if you go to monogism.com mm. then you will find a free translation um, of this sermon there. So um, we really it's available everywhere and we even want to throw in three free copies for you guys um, if you want to uh, maybe and let, let me explain to the listeners, the listeners how they can access those three free copies. So um, we'll we'll get them to listeners. The way to access the three free copies now very important. They are Afrikaans. So listeners, don't just dial in because you want a free copy of a book. Uh, you you need to either want to pass this on to somebody who is Afrikaans speaking very intentionally, or you need to be Afrikaans speaking yourself. Um, but if you are interested in what in a free copy uh, of the Afrikaans translation uh, of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you are welcome to phone in and leave your postal details um, uh, with our technician at studio. Uh, the telephone number right now is 012-334-1322. Should I repeat that so that you can get your pen and paper ready or have your cell phone at the ready so you can type in the number? It is 012-334-1322. If you phone in, uh, there are three copies which client services will get to you. Um, uh, in, in terms of uh, the translation of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And if you phoned in, by the way, for the Piper book two weeks ago, um, please know I am going to listen to that particular um, show in order to find out who the names uh, of the winners were, and I'll contact you um, via whatever mechanism you contacted us on. Um, I, I struggled to do that over the last two weeks, but commit to doing that uh, today. 
But for now, if you are interested in a copy of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, translated into Afrikaans by Skulk Strauss, uh, you're welcome to phone into the studio. It is 012-334-1322. Um, Skulk, uh, as, as you were talking, I, I, you know, many things uh, were coming to mind um, and considerations um, of, uh, of the idea of of promoting and propagating um, uh, this particular sermon so this is actually something that I've done in the past I, I planted a church in Benoni and when I re- when I went to the church in the first year um, I started to print out sermons from the past I, I printed out obviously a couple of uh, Charles Spurgeon sermons because uh, Reformed Baptist uh, good man uh, I printed out a, a, a Ryle a sermon I printed out a, a couple of contemporary modern day uh, guys that are living and some that have passed on uh, Piper, MacArthur, uh, R.C. Sproul sermon um, but the first sermon that I printed out was um, was Jonathan Edwards' sermon. The reason why I printed out his sermon first is because he's. this is actually the easiest sermon to assign to a particular person throughout history. I mean when you think of Charles Spurgeon, I've read I've read thousands uh, of of lines of Spurgeon's books and his preaching. I, I, I literally thousands and thousands of lines of Spurgeon preaching and Spurgeon uh, and Spurgeon books. But I couldn't, off the top of my head, give you one specific sermon of his which stands out above all the rest. The same would be true of John MacArthur. I've I've, I've I've consumed MacArthur for much of my my Christian life, um, but I couldn't think of one sermon that stands out above every other sermon that he has ever preached. With John Piper, it's a little bit different. He preached that seashell sermon. If you know John Piper at all, you might be aware of his Don't Waste Your Life sermon. So that's a little bit easier. R.C. Sproul couldn't think of one particular sermon. I could think of it. Well, he had a quote. Uh, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, so that, that 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 quote stands out. But I couldn't think of one sermon that stands out in a way which is which is peculiar. But but out of all the preachers that I can think of, um, th- this is one man with one sermon that is so tightly connected that when I think of Jonathan Edwards, I immediately think of this particular sermon. Why is that, Strauss? Why, why, why is this? Why does this particular sermon stand out in a way that that so many other great writers, great speakers, um, don't have don't have a single sermon which which kind of rises to the top of 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 other sermons? Why why, why is this sermon so peculiar? Um, maybe ask that question first, and and then and then if you can just pass the ball uh, once you've answered that question to Henning and and Henning, um, Strauss has 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 spoken about a call to faithfulness a call to faithfulness in South Africa and um, and and God willing even using this sermon as part of that call to faithfulness um, I'd be very interested to hear just some of your thoughts of where we are as a country and and, and what that what that call to faithfulness might look like and maybe even a sharing of the gospel uh, a, a brief sharing of the gospel um, uh, uh, w- when you talk but Skulk maybe you first why does the sermon stand out in my mind at least um, above other sermons yeah, um, I think it's a, well, it's not an easy question to answer, but if I may try, I think, firstly, because of its, it's very confrontational. Mm. 
is very revealing about ourselves, who we are, and mm. what our position in relation to God truly is. It's not something that people want to hear, but it's it's kind of that thing where you are listening. You don't want to listen to this, but you know you have to listen to this. You have to take this into account. It's kind of like, I think, uh, uh, the sermon has the sense of God in uh, in the um, Garden of Eden of yes. the fall, looking for Adam and Eve, and they are in hiding, and is is calling to them, and and asking, "Where are you?" And when he gets to them, he says, "What happened?" Yeah, and they answered, "We are naked. We are ashamed." And they, in a strange way, I think that that uh, speaks to people because deep down we all are really aware of our nakedness when we when it comes to our relationship with God, and maybe that is where some of the appeal of this sermon lies. Not it's not a feel good sermon. Yes, but at the end you will feel better. If you if you find Christ in Christ, the person of Jesus that, Christ, that we are covered with His blood, and 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 that's what makes it so amazing. You know, this sermon maybe on another level. What makes it so popular is that throughout history, since it has been uh, preached, um, it has also been studied as a literary piece in America, in schools, and. Um, on tertiary level, yes. Um, even today, it's been st- it's being studied, but uh, sadly, only as as a literary piece and and not really as, as a spiritual piece. But to, to me um, personally, I think that's what it, what's attracting me to this sermon mm. is um, there's not. It's very straightforward. I mean, yeah. Calls a spade a spade, and and there's no doubt. In your mind, uh, where you stand with God and what your relationship really is, but also what it could be if it is a relationship in Christ. You know, Skulk uh, Lance makes a great point. Uh, he's uh, written in on WhatsApp. He says many nominal Christians are petrified to be full-blown, full Christians, because the powers of the corrupt and the dictatorship of our society of the day is financially powerful. In other words, we're so distracted. Christianity and Christians, we talk about the 32 million, seem so distracted by a love for this world. If I'm translating Lance's point um, correctly, I hope I am in doing justice to what he's trying to say. But 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 the world has sold a uh, a lie to us, and the lie comes by finances. It comes by uh, a love for the things of this world, um, and 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 it dilutes our Christian witness and our Christian testimony to the point of 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 being nominal. Um, just just in terms of this idea of nominal Christianity, maybe you'd like to talk to that a little bit because, because I mean, very interestingly, Edwards' sermon was preached in the context of a church service. He wasn't preaching at an evangelistic outreach, you know, pitch a tent, you know, call call the defiled unbelievers out of pubs into the seats and then you know preach the gospel to them, tell them about hell and tell them to turn and tell them that the time is short. At the time is short and that they must urgently repent he, he was preaching to 
to believers in our in his church in fact he he makes mention of it a number of times during the sermon he he talks about those who are seated um even in this building those who think that they are saved this, this idea of nominal Christianity and this call to leave nominality alone and to come out of Babylon and to come out of this world and to come into um, the fullness of Christ uh, was, it seems to be a theme that, that was on Edward's heart as he preached this do, do you have anything maybe to elaborate or to say on that uh, before we go to Henning mm. Yes, I think it's a very important question um, and maybe if you look at our history in South Africa as Christians what I mean with nominal Christianity is when Christianity becomes much more of a cultural thing, it's part of our culture, it's something we do, it's something we know in a nominal sense and what I mean about that is we are aware of certain biblical facts and certain biblical truths mm. but it doesn't reach down into our hearts and shake so, us <laughs> yeah when you know Tim Keller has I, I don't know if you are familiar with Tim Keller I, I am yes. but he has this he, he has this saying that um, truth becomes real when information becomes sensation yeah and I think that's what we need. We need to move away from only being informed Christians, informed yes. about the doctrine, informed about biblical facts. It has to be something sensed. We have to have a true sense of God oh, like in that. order yeah. to to be moved yes. towards um, you're bowing down before this great God and admiring Him in everything we do because if we get to that point then we'll, we will be able to move away from this dualism that we have in our Christianity you know? and what I mean with that is we're kind of Sunday Christians in a sense yes. on Sundays we practice our Christianity on yes. Sundays you go to church on Sundays you read your Bible on Sundays you do good but in the rest of the week then you have to just struggle it out um, with all the difficulties that surround us. And it's like, uh, and that's bring me back to the point that I made earlier about the sovereignty of God. If, you, if we truly believe that God is a sovereign God, He's not only a God of Sundays. Mm, mm. He's, he's God of every day. And um, we have to live in a way that we are <clears throat> aware of His sovereignty every day. Yes. And if we can get to that point, then we will move away from a nominal Christianity towards a more experienced Christianity. And, and friends, part of the reason why we have nominal Christianity is because too many of those who profess to be sheep and sit in our pews are in actual fact unsaved. You, you must you must be born again you must be born from above you you must put your own personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior you must do it urgently you must do it at once um, uh, this uh, an eternal reality awaits each and every one of us and unless we have the person of Jesus Christ covering us, um, we stand no hope before a God who is filled with wrath against sin and sinners. Maybe uh, Henning, uh, yeah, just, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, this call to faithfulness and this call out of this world, uh, out of the world, 
um, and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the beauty and the wonder and the joy and the magnificence that that delivers to men. Um, maybe you want to just uh, flesh out what is the gospel. Um, how, how might men avoid slipping and falling into an eternal hell? Um, Mark, maybe I should start off this uh, section of the of the conversation with uh, one more historic uh, factor. If, uh, I hope I have it correct. Um, if I understand it correctly, uh, Edwards preached this specific sermon twice. Um, first time it had little effect. Um, the second time it had a huge impact. Um, and that just underscores the fact that what we are asking for, what we are hoping for, what we are praying for is not, in fact, something that Edwards or myself or anybody else can achieve. Um, we can simply behold. We can simply show what the truth is. But what we ask is of God and what we seek is of the Holy Spirit and we must ask him to work in a wonderful way um, mm. in presenting the gospel in a nutshell um, maybe I can start off maybe by first following in Edward's example of footsteps um, and just showing something contemporary um, in 2005 uh, there was a man named Christian Smith uh, I don't think uh, anyway, Christian Smith that uh, that did a study uh, trying to um, get together the main points of uh, of, of the creed most Christians um, themselves uh, hold to, and he focused on uh, on teenagers specifically, and he basically boiled it down to five points. The first point being God exists and he is in charge of everything. He's um, he, he's uh, the one guiding everything and, and watching over everything. The second point, God will uh, wants people to be good, friendly, and, um, and justify, ju uh, uh, right to each other, uh, and that we should live uh, in accordance to the golden rule, etc. That's that's the second point. Um, the third point being. Uh, it is the most important thing in life to be happy and to feel good about yourself. The fourth point, uh, God doesn't have to be involved in every aspect of your life, except, of course, when you have a problem. And the last one, good people go to heaven when they die. That's the creed that a large portion of the popul population holds to. Mm. And what's frightening to me is that Christ never features in any of these points. What's frightening is that very, very few people can actually, when you, when you talk them through these five points, can identify what's wrong with it. Um, and once again, we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to show us how wrong we are about this. Um, we need Christ. Um, when we go to the 
Canons of Dort, um, I know that's a controversial piece of writing and there's not, uh, some people love it and some people don't. But uh, specifically, if you go down to chapter one, paragraph 16, there's this wonderful passage um, referencing um, Isaiah 42, verse three, um, the the reed and the the lamp, um, and he. The question is being asked: What do I do if I hear about all God's great works and all God's great uh, the, uh, the way He works in people? And what do I do if I don't see that in my own heart? What do I do if I don't uh, feel that um, that God is working in me? As he has worked in other in other people, mm. and the answer that comes through that small passage is: firstly, uh, go on using um, the uh, gifts God gave in order to to, um, to to give us faith. Go on using that. Don't stop. Don't say it's a waste of time. Don't count yourself to be lost yet, um, because and this is. One of the most amazing amazing thoughts is that if God has awakened that uh, that thirst in your in your soul for Him, although you don't experience Him yet, if He has awakened that thirst for Him in your soul, is not one to just say, "Okay, I started it and I won't finish it." Mm. He will finish the work that he has started in you. Um, think about Philippians 1, verse 6. And so, if I want to, if, if, uh, when I share the gospel this morning, uh, I want to, uh, to underscore the fact that don't be satisfied with uh, just knowing about God. Mm. Look for, uh, search for him, um, but Pray earnestly that you will get to know him, that you will understand what it means to be covered by his blood, that you will understand that what it means to to have your old flesh killed and die off and be replaced with and, and covered with Christ. Um, that don't don't be be satisfied with with the lesser things. Um, ask God to satisfy you with, with himself. Mm. That's, that's the gospel, is that we can be satisfied in a relationship close to God. Um, and I think that that's what, we're, that, that's what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for. That's, um, and I, I, that's what you said earlier as well um, when you read through the, the revivals of the past. That's what we want for our own hearts as well. Mm. Yes, for for my heart, for my wife's heart, for my children's heart, for the sake of the church that I serve, for the city that I'm in, um, for the nation where God has placed me. We we want people to be called back, um, called back to Christ, um, and to be unsatisfied, um, to have lesser things. I I loved, I loved the description of the canons of Dort, um, referencing. Uh, uh, Isaiah and then saying but what about what about if I'm not if I'm not feeling this in the way that I see it affecting others what should I then do um, and the answer is well then don't be satisfied <laughs> um, pursue that which is godly um, I, I do want to say uh, Skulk 
and Henning, thank you so much for talking with us today. Um, Skulk, I'm going to give you one last opportunity because uh, we are coming to the end of our show. Just one last opportunity to point people to where they can find um, uh, both the English as well as an Afrikaans translation of Sinners of a Hand uh, in the Hands of an Angry God. Thanks, Mark. <clears throat> and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity. Again, we really appreciate it, and it was really nice to uh, talk to you and to your viewers. Um, again, I just want to um, stress the fact that we have this campaign, and we want to urge each and every Christian, especially uh, leaders and pastors, to consider preaching this sermon on the 24th of July. We want to um, make it a countrywide uh, event in which Christians from all backgrounds can take part in. And therefore, you can order this sermon if you would like it in Afrikaans. You can order it from our website, www.lichindeisternis.co.za. So it's like light in darkness, only in Afrikaans, lichindeisternis.co.za. So you will see it up from there, and you can just click on it, and you can order it. Um, but if you are interested in the English translation, maybe you're from an English background, and you want to uh, preach this in English, then you can simply go to monogism.com, and you can just type in sinners in the hands of an angry God, and it will pop up as a free English translation for you to use. Thanks, Henning. Thanks, Skulk. Really appreciate it. Um, we have got a number of questions and a number of comments which came in, including from Janine, from from Lance, from Grace, and from others. Um, folk, I, I will be listening to those WhatsApps um, off air and responding directly to you. I do want to say thanks, Henning, and thanks, Skulk, for coming and talking. And let's give uh, Jonathan Edwards the last words. These are the closing words of the sermon uh, which he preached. Men's hearts harden and their guilt increases apace at such a day as this if they neglect their souls never was there a period when so many means were employed for the salvation of souls and if you entirely neglect them you will eternally curse the day of your birth now undoubtedly it is as it was in the days of john the baptist the axe is laid at the root of the trees and every tree which brings not forth good fruit may be hewn down and cast into the fire therefore let every one that is out of christ now awake and flee from the wrath to come the wrath of almighty god is now undoubtedly hanging over every unregenerate sinner let every one flee out of sodom escape for your lives look not behind you escape to the mountain lest you be consumed folk thank you so much for listening in this morning on radio pulpit to table talk with mark our prayers go out to all the elders and deacons who hold the line in local churches as well as to our missionaries who serve in foreign fields our prayers go for and much respect to first responders police our defense force and for those who dispense justice in our country for firefighters for our nation's nurses and for medical personnel as well as for correctional facility officers you have been listening to table talk with me your host mark we are going to news now and so until next week friday walk wisely live holy and testify zealously amen